Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Amar Hansbal. He's SVP of product at Autodesk, and he's a maker. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Welcome back to Techtopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Amar Hansbal. He is SVP of products at Autodesk. Autodesk is a 3D design company. Is that right? Or why don't you describe it to, to the listeners before we begin? Uh, yeah, John, I, we are a 3D design software company. What we do is help people describe the physical world in the form of digital models in the computer so they can come up with better ideas. And, you know, at the end of the day, we'd like to, you know, people talk about WYSIWYG. We like to do WYSIWYM, which is what you see is what you make. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the software stack we produce for the uh, for the world and you know our customers range from makers all the way to large enterprises okay so what are some of the some what sort of the products that like a i guess a maker would use that you guys have i know there's autocad which is the top and 3d max and all that other good stuff right but... I, I mean i think the products our maker would use is we have this product called tinkercad so if okay. you're really the beginner in you know uh, exploring the world of manufacturing, you'd start with something like Tinkercad. Really, for more serious people, we have a product called Fusion, which uh, is really all connects everything from form to fabrication. And we also have a product called Inventor, and then all the way up to the stack. You know, the car companies use products like Alias from us to do the styling. So we have a whole range of products for the manufacturing industry. Okay, so I mean, I'm I'm familiar with a lot of these things. I've used one, two, three. I've used uh, Tinkercad. My son uses Tinkercad in school. Great. Okay. What what will it take to make us all uh, capable manufacturers using these tools? Is this yeah. are are these are these tools ready for prime time? Are these tools ready for the general populace? Because I remember opening up like uh, AutoCAD and just being completely c- confused. I guess. Right. Right. No, I think look, software has come a long way, and I, I think maybe you know the answer or the analog to your uh, the question that you'd have is we we envisage a world where it's as easy to make something as it is to desktop publish uh, you know a brochure so mm-hmm. it describes something hit print and it prints out exactly the way it looks on screen and we'd like that to be true for you know you describe a 3d model say make and it comes out of, out of a 3d printer and I think the things that need to still improve is that the connection between your, you know, the software and the piece of hardware that's making, it still has a long way to go before manufacturing is as simple as something like, you know, the the world of 2D printing is. So I think for everybody to be a maker, we can see our path to getting there, but there's still work to be done to simplify the connection between the software and hardware. Okay, so let's let's picture my attic. I have I have to my left, I have a MakerBot. Yeah. Uh, with PLA, I got a laser printer next to me, which is yeah. unusual. Uh, I have another 3D printer over here in the corner. Uh, there's a there's a fresh maker brought downstairs. There's rolls of PLA uh, yeah. just waiting to be made, and I haven't turned on the printer in about uh, let's say four months. 
So okay. what what needs to change? Even me as like some plugged in ad, advanced advanced man for the future. Uh, what needs to change in my life that I'm going to be using this printer every day to to make everyday right. objects? Right. So I look. I think what, there's always the path where you need. You know, hopefully you'd get inspired with some brilliant new idea, and that'll make you fire up a product to do these things. But you know, you'd start. I think the future that we're heading to. You're going to start to see manufacturers put components online. So the idea here is if a washer dryer breaks and you need a replacement part, instead of you know waiting for the manufacturer to mail you the replacement, you can get a temporary replacement by 3D printing something that is made available online by the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Things like toys, things like you know medical piece uh, prosthetics, those are the kinds of things. So in short, I think for uh, 3D printing to become a reality in every home. There's a bunch of content that needs to be made available that uh, so people don't have to be designers to you know do 3D printing. On the other side, I think the connection, like we were talking about earlier, just the ability to print something on a MakerBot needs to get simpler because today you have there's about three steps involved to go from a 3D model to a MakerBot result and even then you may get it right about half the time it would work. That whole thing needs to get better. So I think there's a two-sided thing or you know, equation that needs to work out. More content on one side and the other side, you know, better um, reliability and a easier to use pipeline with like the, the hardware devices. So that, that's, that's what Nirvana would look like. So will I, will I have a... What will what will my desk look like in the in twenty years? I have a laser printer here which prints paper, and obviously paper is so banal at this point that I would like to I would like a three D printing to be as banal as paper printing. Uh, but what would it take? What would it take for for what sort yeah. of what sort of printer will I have next to me in a, in a, in ten years? Um, you know, I so let, let's 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 put on our imagination hats here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think that you know, there was a a book a while back that sort of talked about uh, I um, I forget what it was called, but it's like you would put raw material. So you would imagine a printer the size of like a a, a cube, right? Nothing much larger than um, a, a, a a printing like a laser jet or like mm -hmm. a commercial uh, uh, a large capacity laser jet, and you would have some kinds of cartridges that would have raw material uh, made to like open standards. And these days there's lots of sort of uh, uh, material efforts that are about democratizing access to chemicals and things like that. And you'd have those cartridges plugged in and that, that's all it should take in a, a wireless connection between your mobile device or your uh, Mac or PC over to the desktop uh, you know, 3D printer. So I think that's, I don't even think it's gonna take 20 years. I'd actually think that within about five years you'd have an experience like that. So I could print a, like I've printed a, a knob for our dishwasher uh, downstairs, yeah. but I could print it in metal or I could print it in plastic that looks, looks uh, um, injection molded, et cetera. Exactly, definitely plastic, strong plastic. I mean, you know, the thing with metal is you have to deal with high temperatures, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. You know, every home is going to have something like that. Because I think the other variation, John, on this is that you would dispatch your, if you if you need to do something in metal, you need some special capability. There's some special material. 
I think the, you'll have um, not exactly kinkos, but you'll have these kind of distributed factories that could do these things on demand for you. So you'd say, hey, you know, se- I, I want this thing printed and send it to me. And within 24 hours, you'd get your um, your part if it was of a slightly more complex mm-hmm. uh, set of materials. So I think you'd, I think the world we're heading to, you're going to have these on-demand services as well as sort of local print capabilities. And I think that's going to be hugely empowering for companies and for for people. Do you ever see a world in which, except for a few major structural parts that maybe could come separate, could I print a car at home? I think you print lots of parts of a car. I mean, I think, you know, um, we already have companies that are doing uh, entire parts and then assembling them. Um, I mean, I, I think there are obviously regulatory and safety kinds of things to get through. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you will have more and more. I mean, we're starting at the low end of the easy stuff, like we talked about toys and a few parts. And these things, just like everything else in technology, are just going to get more and more capable, more and more, uh, handle more and more complexity. I mean, you look at 3D printers now, they're hand, handling multi-materials. So you don't even have to make things of one material. You can mix things up. I think this stuff is going to get more and more capable. And I, I don't see why we couldn't start doing things uh, like not just knobs on dishwashers, but entire, you know, you can customize the front of your dishwasher mm-hmm. to your, your personal liking. Things like that, I think, is are going to be very possible within a five-year time frame. So like a full, like a faceplate for a dishwasher. I mean, I feel, I feel like that's sort of a, that's, that's as banal as the, as the print, the paper printing. I think customization in that respect is, is probably not the, not the right tree to bark up, I think. Right. Yeah. I think it's a good point there. I mean, really the more meaningful things I would look at medical, uh, applications. That's something that is where customization or personalization is actually important, right? Do you want uh, whether it's like a cost for a broken arm or, uh, you know, a, your Invisalign kind of attachment in your your mouth guard or something like that mm-hmm. for sports. Those are, you know, really actually applications you could see being very practical, very useful and very possible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we could give up the dishwasher kind of examples for things like medical or, um, you know, personalized uh, gifts and jewelry and those kinds of things in a five-year time frame are going to uh, definitely be possible. Okay. So what does the, uh, what does the manufacturing pipeline look like in, in five, five, ten years? I mean, hopefully it look closer to what desktop publishing looks like. Is that I think today to go from an idea to something that you hold in your hand, it takes, you know, probably for simple stuff, it takes three months for more complex things that industrial companies make, it takes two and a half years to do this, and it involves you know, eight, nine, 10 different tools. And I think the fact that this world is becoming, has become more digital, and that tools are becoming uh, a lot more integrated, means like things, I, I would see that three and a half month cycle for a uh, personal application collapsing down to a couple of days, the two and a half year cycle collapsing down to like, you know, a few months. Um, and that it really looks a lot more, I mean, you look at the world of, I go back to my desktop publishing analogy. There's the desktop publishing pipeline 
that someone at, would use at home to publish a you know, poster for school. And there's the desktop publishing pipeline that someone like New York Times uses to create their newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I think the manufacturing pipeline is going to look like that. There's going to be a pipeline that's very well suited with a couple of simple tools to say, make these easy um, and you know, easy parts with a little bit of configuration available to, uh, to people. And then there's a slightly more complex industrial manufacturing pipe that has a few more things in it like electronics, like um, metal, like uh, more simulation. Um, and, and, but it all it actually feels as simple and straightforward as you, know, you describe something and say, publish to web or publish to the laser writer. Okay, so the idea of the idea of that I could build a, I build myself an Arduino box, <clears throat> put it in a case, and then I say, look, this these are all the pieces that I need. Can your can the machine simplify it, put it into the box properly, and exactly and, and exactly. essentially print me out a ready a finished product. Ready finished product. I mean, the one other angle I think that's going to be really interesting in the next three to four years is how AI and machine learning is going to sort of come into this manufacturing pipeline because right now you know you and i actually have to do a lot of the thinking or the engineering to make a a new part or make a new uh, idea come to life i think over time you're going to watch the computer start to learn from all the projects that go through it or learn from real world objects and start to do you know you might even say look i need something that can carry you know 30 pounds of weight and have these motion characteristics and let the computer come up with the design for you i think that's another thing in the manufacturing pipeline that's going to start showing up hmm, interesting yeah because i mean i think that's a really interesting point the idea that that you're dealing with a <clears throat> known commodity i have a i have an arduino board with a, a couple of shields attached to it um yeah. that can do different things and i have a relay in there that that controls a lot of power if right. I could, if I could give it to an AI to say, make what I have here complete with the programming usable inside a case the size of an iPhone, exactly. Presumably, it could do that because that's basically just a that's a systemic uh, <clears throat> or algorithmic <clears throat> sort of system that you could use. Exactly, hmm. exactly. So yeah, that's the electronics example, and the same things apply to uh, mechanical systems as well. Because I think you could describe, you know, hey, listen, I want to apply generate this much force on the other side of this and the whole thing needs to weigh these many pounds and i would like a handle on one side and let the computer see if it can figure out given those outputs and inputs whether it can design something for you and you look at the design say i don't quite like the aesthetics of that you can fix the aesthetics or you know if it gives you three choices pick one i think those kinds of things are going to come in and back to the idea of making things when you're you know more understandable, how do you get more households doing 3D printing? These are the kinds of things that will make it simple so that you don't have to think like, oh man, I need an engineering degree to design something. Like, you know, you just say, okay, I need to solve this problem. Can you solve it for me? And the computer might be able to do that for, for, mm-hmm. the, for the ordinary person. Is there is there any work in uh, evolutionary design? I guess I remember uh, a couple years ago, they would design antennae that were, that were specifically... They were evolved to pick up the best signals, right? Right. But is, there's a, there's a, you know, there's two or three things going on, John. One is like 
There's, there are adaptive products, you know, products that have embedded software in them that, you know, Nest is an example of that, right? That sort of learns through the environment and starts to improve its results by, you know, watching what's happening in the environment. So that's sort of, you know, software and electronics that kind of improve products. So that's one. The other, other angle we're watching and certainly trying to uh, pioneer is this idea of generative design where you give it, you tell the software certain constraints and let the let a, an intelligent design algorithm come up with alternatives that you can choose from. And the ultimate idea is to combine both the first and second ideas where you could put a bunch of uh, sensors like on a uh, like a test rig, if you will, get real world data and then input that data into an intelligent design system and it comes up with the right solution for you. So this is the idea where you're taking generative design and applying AI based on real world data and coming up with, you know, um, uh, solutions that are strong, that are light, that are manufacturable. So I think there's a nice um, path here for build, making products intelligently. Okay. And are you guys working on any, any sort of products that can do that sort of thing? Yeah, we have a, a project uh, we call Dreamcatcher, which is one of these generative design systems. So we've been uh, working with a couple of companies that are you know, that are interested in working with us on solving this problem. I mean, these are early days, but it has some promise. Um, so yeah, we, we've got a, an experimental project, if you will, called Dreamcatcher. Okay. So do you have a, uh, do you have a private website or should just people look for you at over at Autodesk? Uh, I think on autodesk.com, we do have Dreamcatcher, uh, described. So it, it's, it's something that, uh, is discoverable and we have a couple of examples. Um, all right, sounds That's good. Sure how it works, yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Amar. Thanks for joining us. I know you were at a you were at a, you were at a manufacturing conference learning yes. how to how to do, build the future anyway. So exactly, this is right My up your alley. All right, thanks for joining us. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week.